Joining us now to talk about all of this is great investigative journalist, our friend John Solomon, founder of Just the News. John, great to have you here on such a big news night. Thank you for waiting, John, too, because, of course, we had the big news coming in that just came in on the gubernatorial results for the primary in New York. Uh, It's going to be Lee Zeldin, as you heard, against Kathy Hochul. Uh, First, before we get to the other, your reaction about uh, what's going to be the matchup, uh, one of the biggest matchups in the country in November. Yeah, listen, uh, a big, big win for Congressman Lee Zeldin, who I've known for years. I think it's going to be a marquee race across the country, a bellwether race. Here's something that a lot of people aren't uh, really focused on. Kathy Hochul lost a third of the vote in the Democratic primary. She's the incumbent governor. She uh, lost a third of the vote to two challengers who appealed to the two different sides of the Democratic Party, one that's more moderate and saying she's not addressing enough uh, crime, and the other side that's uh, more liberal and thinks she isn't liberal enough. Um, If you're the incumbent and you're you're only at a 67% win rate in a primary, there's a sign that your base may not be with you. And I think uh, she goes in, obviously, the the favorite, because New York is a blue state, uh, but there are signs of weaknesses in this primary. For her to lose a third of the vote, at least as the current trend lines are, I think it's a warning sign that Hochul may be more vulnerable than uh, than uh, private, prior Democrats in the state of New York heading into the general election. Yes. Yeah, so and, you know, I think this could be a year for a Republican in the New York, you know, governor's house. I mean, you think about it, in the governor's mansion there. Crime is such an enormous issue. The quality of life has gone downhill so dramatically in New York and so many liberal cities across this country. Um, And I think about just how many people have left the big cities like New York, how many people are disenchanted, the high taxes, the high crime. Uh, It seems like the high tolerance for criminals and repeat offenders. I mean, if that combination isn't deadly, I don't know what is, you know. And, um, And when you sit there and you look at all that, there, there's moments, and we've seen glimpses even in some of the other earlier races where a number of people in local jurisdictions won because they were fed up with crime. They were going up against soft-on-crime candidates. So I think the position for Lee Zeldin, he's already did that already in the primary, but clearly in the general, he's going to have to go after her and say, you cut Alvin Bragg some slack. Uh, you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything with this. You know, what about victims? What about New York? What about citizens? So we got to bring people back. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be really interesting, John. I think you're right. Listen, this is shaping up to be a pocketbook insecurity election. The two issues that are are going to be foremost in in people's mind, the economy, the inflation, gas prices, food shortages, all the things people are experiencing. And do people feel safe? And on those two issues, Democrats are doing really poorly in the in the polls. And I think every Democrat in, in any state is more vulnerable than they've been in a long time because of the power of those two issues and the current trend lines of the country. So it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, Zeldin has a large mountain to climb, but uh, it's not inconceivable that a Republican could win in New York in, in this sort of climate. Yeah, absolutely. And John, I invited you on. You've been so nice to be flexible. I invited you on about January 6th, but I know you can talk about everything, John. I know that about you, my friend. Um, What's your reaction? Did you hear what I said? I was watching the entire coverage tonight. I was like glued. Okay, who's the big surprise witness that's going to rock the world? Um, And it was powerful, some of the things she said. But even what she said still on many levels was hearsay. And what she also said was, you know, he even said, yeah, he wanted to join his supporters to march to the Capitol. 
She didn't say that he wanted his supporters to go and riot at the Capitol. That would have been different. Um, And also, now I, and I I don't know if you heard, but NBC News, Peter Alexander, who you and I both know, Peter Alexander came out after his report tonight on the nightly news and said, by the way, my sources are telling me that the driver and also the lead agent are prepared to testify and say what she said never happened. Nothing happened with the steering wheel. They were never assaulted by Trump. I mean, how could you go out there and make this, we're going to turn the whole country around. This is a blockbuster. This is your blockbuster witness. And NBC News in five seconds, it looks like gets sources to say that these guys, the ones who she says were her sources, are going to basically say she's a liar. The uh, Listen, this pattern has been repeated. In prior congressional hearings and all the years you and I covered Washington we always saw committees, they'd hear something from a witness, they would go check it out. They would make sure that, particularly if it was hearsay, did this actually happen before you put it out in the public? The January 6th committee repeatedly puts out the first thing it hears and often doesn't do the homework. And what does that result in? It's resulted in several embarrassing reversals already. Let's give you a couple of them. They said last November... Bernie Carrick, the former NYPD commissioner, attended a meeting in Washington on January 5th to overturn the election. Uh, we proved at Just the News that he actually was in New York, not in Washington. He could not have attended the meeting. The committee had to apologize to uh, Commissioner Carrick. Just three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, they accused Congressman Barry Laudermack of running a tour, a reconnaissance tour, with the insurrectionists who would later storm the Capitol a day later. They claimed he gave him a reconnaissance tour of the Capitol on January 5th. We got to the uh, Capitol Police. What did they tell us? In a written letter, they told us that Laudermilk never was even in the Capitol on January 5th. He only was in a congressional building. He only had constituents, and nothing on the security tape showed a reconnaissance mission. It was innocent stuff. So once again, the committee put out a story, and it got to two, last late last week. Senator Ron Johnson was accused of trying to hand documents. This is actual headlines. Hand documents to Mike Pence of alternate um, uh, electors for Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, when you finally found out that they only put out some of the uh, text messages, I got all of the text messages. It turns out Ron Johnson never attempted it. Why? He got a call. He sent it to his staffer. The staffer checked out and said, we're not going to do it. It never happened. The committee has, on at least three occasions, misled the public. And I fear today that as interesting and as in, uh, engrossing as uh, Cassidy Hutchinson's uh, testimony was, it was based predominantly on hearsay. She's a junior age. He wasn't the t- at the top level. Sure, she could hear things, but it was hearsay. I think this story about the agents is going to boomerang. My sources close to the Secret Service tell me that the two agents did not have this happen to them, that they didn't have the wheel taken from them. There wasn't an assault in the car. By the way, if you've ever seen the presidential limo, it would be very hard for the president from the back seat to take control of the car. So it did not, just on a logistical thing, didn't sound plausible. Now, I'm sure she may have heard hearsay like that. But if these agents come out and debunk that testimony, uh, that will be the fourth major reversal that this committee has. It's becoming a joke. And let me ask, bring one other thing up we're going to do tonight. When people wake up in the morning, one of the storylines yesterday or today from Cassidy uh, Hutchinson was Donald Trump knew everybody was going to be armed and he wasn't worried about violence that day. Now, first off, Donald Trump isn't responsible for the security at the Capitol, but even though he wasn't, His administration offered the Capitol Police on January 2nd and on January 4th the opportunity to have 10,000-plus National Guards help them 
That was turned down by Nancy Pelosi's team, uh, and the police chief also turned it down. We're going to put out tomorrow morning that long before Cassidy uh, Hutchinson heard these things in the White House, the Capitol Police, the Capitol leadership, was told on December 31st there were going to be armed people, snipers possibly, at the Capitol. Uh, They were going to storm the Capitol. They might even try to hang Democrats. It actually says that in the, in the intelligence warnings that the Capitol Police got. They had far more warning than anything Cassidy uh, Hutchinson witnessed. They chose not to increase the security enough. They chose not to accept the National Guard. I think most Americans are going to say it's kind of hard to blame Donald Trump for any of the violence that day when the Capitol Police mm-hmm. knew for more than a week of these warnings, and they didn't prepare for it, and they didn't even take the National Guard. I think a lot of the J6 committee's story is going to fall apart again. You know, John, it's so stunning when I hear this. And my first reaction, too, by the way, about the armed was, and I knew the report, of course, from you about the National Guard, was, you know, if somebody is trying to create problems, you don't call for the National Guard to help, you know, a couple days before. Um, But what you just said is really interesting about this December 31st. We still do not know why Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police um, turned down extra security. It, 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 it is baffling to me. And, and I've said this on the air, John, and I think you and I even talked about this. Even if it was like 100,000 grandmothers there, I would still want some National Guard because it's a big crowd. And, you know, that the moment is tense and just, you know, uh, it's just a lot of people. Why? We still don't know. And that, to me, is really the biggest mystery. And I hope at some point we get to the bottom of why Capitol Police did not have extra support. Why in heck would you not want it, even if you knew that they were safe folks and unarmed people? And now that you're telling me even more intelligence that they knew they were armed, it is stunning to me. It's a dereliction not to protect the Capitol. And we need to get to the bottom of why Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police refuse that. To me, that is Absolutely shocking. Rita, these are from a document I'm going to make public tomorrow. They're from Matthew Herdick, a intelligence analyst at the Capitol Police, distributed across the Capitol Police Department to investigation officials, task force officers, and their own intelligence division. These are three quotes from a December 31st intelligence. Do me me a favor, John, if you could. Stay with us. We're going to go to a quick break, and I want to finish with you after the break because I want to have you uh, answer that because it's very important. Stay with us, everybody. John Solomon with more details about January 6th right after the break. And we continue now with just the newses. John Solomon. John, I had to cut you off, sorry, before the break, but That's I want to have you finish because you got some big explosive stuff you're reporting tomorrow. This is a December 31st intelligence bulletin of 2020, so seven days before the uh, Capitol riots. These are direct quotes from the intelligence analysis that was sent to large numbers of the leadership of the Capitol Police Department. One, Far-right extremists call for armed encampment and plan to hang corpses of Democrats at January 6th pro-Trump demonstration. They knew that people were being asked to bring their guns. Here's another one. Armed and ready, Mr. President, demonstrators urged to bring guns and prepare for violence at January 6th. Here's a third one, a third entry in the same intelligence report. Far-right forum users discuss taking violent action at D.C. Trump rally. This also includes facts that the, the people, the bad people, actually ended up showing up that day from places like Proud Boys and, and others. They had maps of the Capitol. They were actually planning how they were going to penetrate the Capitol. The Capitol Police knew seven days, way before Cassidy Hutchinson heard any of these concerns in the White House, the Capitol and, and their leaders 
already knew this could happen. They still turned down the National Guard, and they did not have the proper security posture. That is going to be the ultimate thing that history will remember about January 6th. The Capitol failed to protect itself. Wow. And we still need to know exactly why that happened, because that to me is it's unfathomable. And to me, it can't just be uh, an accident. There's something there, John, which is we don't know yet. We need to find out why. John, great reporting. Everybody check out John Solomon's great columns tomorrow. John, thank you very, very much. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.